Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come into this place desiring to meet with you. Lord, desiring to hear your word, desiring to hear from your spirit. Lord, we desire your truth. We want to see you in this place, God. We want to see you in our lives. We want to see you enthroned in the heavenlies, God. We want a vision of Jesus. God, as you led the disciples up the mountain and you were transfigured before them, God, we long to see you as you are. God, the voice that came from the cloud told the disciples to listen to you. And so, God, we attune, we ask you to tune our ears, tune our hearts to hear your voice today, that we would listen to you. And in our encounter with you, that we would see your glory, that we would see you as you are. This is what only you can do, Lord. So we submit ourselves to you and ask that whatever you have in store for us today, you would help us to receive with joy. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to picture for a moment in your minds that you're at a wedding. You are a, uh, you were invited to the wedding, you're sitting in the seats, the music is playing, two by two, the, the, the bridesmaids and the, and the groomsmen are walking down the aisle and, and taking their place. The music then begins to fade, everything is set, everything is ready, the suspense is, is filling the room, filling the air. And you're waiting, and then the song changes. A new song comes on, and everyone stands to their feet. And into view comes the bride. Doves are flying, the groom is weeping. In this moment, when she comes into view, this is the bride's moment of glory. When her beauty and radiance is put on display for everyone to see. So we have a hard time with this word glory. 
It's a confusing word. People usually use the word glory in reference to something, uh, some success or some accomplishment that someone has achieved, right? An athlete's moment of glory is when they finally, they, they win the championship, they host, hoist the trophy, or a musician's moment of, of glory is receiving some award or, or, or selling a certain number of albums or their song remaining at the top of the charts for multiple weeks. But biblical glory is not something that somebody accomplishes, Rather, their accomplishments reveal their glory. Glory isn't something that we achieve. It's something that we are, but it's revealed through what we do. Glory must be witnessed. Glory is is more than, than beauty. It's more than power. It's more than honor or praise. Glory is those things beheld. It's those things becoming visible. Like the bride on her wedding day, she was just as beautiful. She was just as radiant moments before. But her moment of glory is when her beauty and radiance comes into view and is enjoyed, is seen by the people. The word glory in Hebrew is kavod, and it's translated many different ways throughout the scriptures, but the force of the word carries with it this connotation of heaviness, weightiness, this significance. I was camping with my family up in San Simeon a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it was a perfectly clear night. And though there was just the tiniest sliver of a moon, it wasn't visible until the next morning. And so the sky is, everything is just dark. And we looked up and we saw, I I kid you not, more stars than I've ever seen in my life. And as I was walking back to my tent, I remember looking up and being mesmerized and kind of filled with this awe and wonder and joy. And yet also this burden that I am so small. And God is so beautiful and so powerful. The night sky manifests God's glory. It shows how beautiful he is. The lightning storm on Monday that so many of you saw, that the power of God put on display through these bolts of lightning that flashed across the sky. This is glory. It's revealing the glory, the manifest beauty and power and presence of God. See, throughout the Bible, God's glory is on center stage. God manifesting himself to his people is on center stage. And in our text today, we see the glory of God put on full display in the person of Jesus. But before we get there, we need to back up and and, and set up a little context for this passage. Remember, Peter has just confessed that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed Savior of Israel, the Savior of the world. But then Jesus has to recalibrate their expectations. Remember, their expectations is for a military leader and political power. But Jesus says that's not the way. That in being the Christ, in following the Christ, I am going to suffer, I am going to die, and you are going to pick up your cross, and you are going to follow me the same. He recalibrates their expectations. Following Jesus is not a life of military conquest and political power. It's a life of self-denial, self-sacrifice, and service for the sake of the kingdom of God and for his glory. 
And then we come to verse one of our passage and Jesus says, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And we talked about this, that in one way, this is a promise to those who pick up their cross and follow Jesus, that they will see the kingdom of God coming in them and through them in their lives. And that's true. But this also foreshadows the experience that Peter and James and John were about to experience just six days later. What does it look like for the kingdom of God to come in power? It looks like what Peter, James, and John saw on the Mount of Transfiguration. And this experience on the mountain not only confirms Jesus' identity, not only confirms that what Peter declared was true, but it's what the disciples need if they are going to live the life that they have been called to. If they are truly going to be able to pick up their cross and follow Jesus and sacrifice their lives and lay down their own glory for the glory of God, what they need is the same thing that we need today if we are going to live lives of faithfulness to Jesus. We need a vision of Jesus' glory. We need a grander vision of Jesus' glory because we are incapable of living the kind of lives that glorify Jesus apart from receiving and experiencing his glory for ourselves. So many of us want to live lives of bold faith and and glorify Jesus, but if we're not receiving that vision of who he is and trusting in who he is ourselves, we are incapable of living that kind of life. If we're to live a life of any significance, the kind of life that brings glory to God, what we need is not a motivational speech to tell us to keep on, keeping on, it's all right, keep going, God is with you, you can do it, hurrah, you are good enough, you are a hero, you are the one the world needs. We don't need a motivational speech to try to pump ourselves up. We don't need an example of someone who is able to do it. See, be like this person over here. They gave up everything. They followed Jesus. They went to a foreign country. They saved many people. Revival started. Go be like that person. We don't need more models of the faith. We don't need a motivational speech. What we actually need, what the disciples needed, is what Jesus gives them on the mountain. We need a vision of Jesus' glory. And so Jesus leads Peter, James, and John up this high mountain. And it says that he's transfigured before their eyes. And Mark puts Jesus on full display. He puts his glory on full display by describing several elements. First, he describes Jesus' physical appearance. Mark says that he was transfigured. The word in the original language is the same word that gives us our English word metamorphosis. What happens to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration is like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. See, a caterpillar has all the genetic potential within itself to become the beautiful butterfly. It's, it's no different. It just, it just it transforms What the disciples see on the Mount of Transfiguration is not Jesus becoming something different than he already is. See, the glory, the eternal glory of the Son of God has been veiled by his humanity. And in this moment, Jesus allows the disciples to see who he truly is. And so though they're they're terrified at what they see, 
They're terrified by it, but they, don't, they are not without categories for what they're seeing. You see, in Exodus 34, there's a story about Moses encountering the glory of God on Mount Sinai. So Moses is on a high mountain, and, the, and, 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 and smoke comes down on the mountain signifying God's presence, and God speaks to Moses. And when Moses comes down the mountain, it says that his face shone. His face was shining because he had been in the presence of God and his face was reflecting the glory of God and it terrified the people. And so they made Moses put a veil over his face anytime he spoke to the people because his face was shining. And so they've got categories for this. But the difference here between Jesus and Moses is that the radiance in Jesus' face, the radiance emanating from him is not a reflection of anything. It's actually coming from within himself. That he is the one radiating glory and light and beauty in that moment. It's coming from within him. And as Hebrews 1.3 says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And so Jesus, his appearance is, is, is transfigured and his glory is revealed. But this change of appearance isn't the only thing that the disciples see. See, he's joined by two other Old Testament figures, Elijah and Moses. And their presence is also a testimony to Jesus' glory. So we talked about Moses' encounter with God on Mount Sinai, but Elijah also had an encounter with God on Mount Sinai. He was called up to Sinai to witness God and to speak with God. And if you remember that story, God says that his glory was going to pass by him. And so Elijah went up to the mountain and there was, a, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. There was a rushing wind. He was not in the wind, but then there was a still small voice. And God reveals himself to Elijah, not in these these. these, these awesome, crazy ways, but just in speaking to Elijah in the still, small voice. But he's with God on the mountain. He experiences, he encounters his glory, and he speaks with him. And so these two Old Testament figures, they've got a similar experience. They went up Mount Sinai. They, 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 they witnessed God's glory, and they spoke with him. But here, Moses and Elijah are on a high mountain again. And God's glory is there. And they speak with God. But in God's place is Jesus Christ. See what Mark is doing? He puts these characters in the same stories that we know them from. But the person that they're talking to is Jesus himself. Jesus is the divine, eternal son of God. And so they encounter him on the mountain and they're speaking with Jesus, the God of Israel, who met both of them in different ways. In the, the, met both of these Old Testament saints on the mountain are now seeing him and, and meeting with him again in the person of Jesus. There's more about Moses and Elijah's presence in this passage. We'll get to that in a minute. But the disciples see all that's taking place and they know that it's significant. They know that they're witnessing something beautiful. They know that they're witnessing something powerful. And so Peter responds. And we can actually see how the disciples are interpreting what they see by Peter's words. Now, Peter here is like a teenage boy trying to talk to a pretty girl. He is, he's stammering all over himself. 
it is good that we should be here. I don't want to give Peter a hard time. He's, he's seeing something and he's like, I gotta, we got to do something. But what, what does Peter want to do? Peter wants to build tents. Like the glory of God is there. And he's like, can we make some tents? Why does he want to make tents? He's trying to enshrine the experience. You see, in the ancient context, God would often, or, or in the pagan culture even, the gods would appear to people on these high mountains. And so they would build these temples on the high mountains because the mountaintops, they were closer to the heavens. They were closer to the dwelling place of, of God. And so they would build their, their holy places on the high places. If you read the, the Old Testament, it would talk about the high places, the high places, talking about the mountains where they would go and encounter the presence presence of God. And so Peter understands that God is meeting with them in this remarkable way. And so he wants to enshrine it. He wants to build a place for the presence of Jesus and Moses and Elijah to remain. He's trying to prolong his experience. He's having a mountaintop moment and he doesn't want it to end. And so he wants it to last or, or at the very least, he wants to be able to revisit it. He wants to be able to go back to the mountaintop and experience this, this, this presence of God in Christ again. And so he wants to build tents. It's not nonsensical. It makes sense. He, he, he wants the mountaintop experience to never cease. See, if you've ever had one of these mountaintop experiences, maybe you've gone to a retreat or you've had an encounter with God in a, in a, in a, in a powerful way, in a, in a worship gathering, whatever it may be, and God does this work in your heart and you leave on this high, you leave having this mountaintop experience, we don't want it to end. We can relate to Peter. We don't want to come off the mountain. But Peter, and so Peter wants to be able to, to prolong the experience or, or to revisit the experience. But the point of these experiences, the point of these mountaintop experiences that God gives for us is not to remain there, but we are to bring what we have received down the mountain and into the lives of others. The purpose of the mountaintop experience, the purpose of the vision of Jesus' glory is not to just remain there, but to take what we have received and to share it with others. And so graciously, Peter is interrupted. The, the cloud descends and envelops them and then a voice comes from the cloud and almost interrupts Peter, almost cuts him off. And, and through, uh, throughout the scriptures, this, this, uh, God's presence is, is described as a cloud. We see it when the Israelites are wandering through the wilderness um, from Egypt to the promised land. They were led by day, uh, in the day, by a, a pillar of cloud. And when God's glory filled the tabernacle and filled the temple, it was, it was smoke. It was this cloud that came in and filled the, the temple, uh, uh, depicting that God's glory was everywhere, that God's glory was filling the temple. And so this cloud comes and descends upon the disciples, descends upon the mountain, and then a voice comes out and says, this is my son, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Now we heard something similar to this in Mark chapter 1 at Jesus baptism Jesus goes into the water he comes out of the water the heavens are open to him and a voice from heaven comes and the dove the spirit of God descends on Jesus like a dove and God speaks to Jesus in that moment and says you are my beloved son with you I am well pleased 
But here, the voice comes and is speaking to the disciples. He's not speaking in the second person, you are my beloved son, but the third person, this is my beloved son. He's talking directly to the disciples. What they are encountering, they're not encountering by accident. God has brought them there, desires to reveal himself to them there, and desires to give them this command, listen to him. See, Jesus is the eternally existent son of God. Now, this can mean lots of things. He says, this is my beloved son. This can mean lots of things. In the Old Testament, the son of God could refer to angelic beings. Heavenly beings are referred to as sons of God. It can refer to Israel itself. Out of Egypt, I called my son. When they were called out of slavery from Egypt and into the promised land. Or it can refer to the king of Israel himself. We get that from 2 Samuel chapter 7, the the covenant that God makes with David. He says, you will have a son and that child will be a son to me and I will be to him a father. And so from that point on, the king of Israel was referred to as the son of God. And so this title, son of God, can refer to lots of things. However, in the context of all that's happening, In this passage, in the radiance emanating from Jesus' person, in his standing in the place of God in his conversation with Elijah and Moses, and the divine confirmation of the voice himself, it's clear that Jesus is more than anyone or anything that anyone expected to come, than anything that's come before him. He is so much greater than, than the king of Israel. He's so much greater than Israel itself. He's so much greater than just an angelic being. This is who Jesus is. He is the glory of Israel. He is Emmanuel, which means God with us. The disciples are not following a mere mortal. You, if you've trusted in Jesus, you're not following a mere man. The disciples and and we, we don't take our orders from just some gifted teacher. He's not just a gifted preacher that draws a crowd or a miracle worker that people like to watch. He's not just a great man. He's not even just the greatest man. He is God become man. And as such, he has come to show the people. He has come to show the disciples and to show you the way of salvation. And so we must receive from him, not just a vision of his glory, but we need to receive his teaching. We need to receive the teaching of Jesus. And so the voice of the father from the cloud not only confirms who he is, but gives a command to the disciples. He says, listen to him. Now this is, guys, Man, I don't know how to communicate this anymore. We've been raised. If you've been raised in the church, so often the disciples are used as this picture of these untrained, ordinary men who, because they were untrained and ordinary and God used them, he can use you too. And that's true. That is true. They were untrained, ordinary men. But Mark is a genius. He was not unintelligent. He's not just randomly writing these things down. Every word, every phrase, every story is so packed full of beauty and meaning. Even this this command, listen to him, is amazing. It recalls a prophecy of Moses back in Deuteronomy 18.15. 
Moses says to the people, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And so in this just simple command, this is my beloved son, listen to him. These disciples who have all of their understanding of the Old Testament and all of the ways that God has worked in the past, they know exactly what's happening. Not only is he the Christ, but he's the son of God and the prophet like Moses. He is the fulfillment of everything that God said would happen. This is the one we've been waiting for. And yet it goes further. I said that we would talk more about Elijah and Moses. Elijah and Moses are not only here because they too had a mountaintop experience and there was something for the disciples to discern about them, but their mountaintop experiences were unique to their calling. See, when Moses went up the mountain, he came down with the Ten Commandments. He came down with the law, and he gave the law to the people so they would know how to follow God. And when Elijah went up the mountain, he went up the mountain to have his calling as God's prophet reaffirmed to him that though it would require suffering, though Jezebel was out to get him, yet he would follow God and he would call God's people to repentance, and that there were people who were there that that, that, that God knew had not bowed the knee, the knee to Baal, the pagan uh, Canaanite God. And so it's unique to his calling. He's calling him to go back down the mountain because I have a job for you to call the people to repentance. And so Moses, as a representative, not just the representative of the law, but the one that God gave the law to, the one that God gave the law through to the Israelites, he is there representing the law. And Elijah is here as the one who also witnessed God's presence to be reconfirmed in his calling as a prophet. He is there representing the prophets. And so the way the Jewish people thought of the Bible back then, to summarize all of the Bible, they would say, the law and the prophets. And so Moses and Elijah's presence here on the mountain, they are representing all of God's word that he had spoken to his people. And now the voice of God says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And the disciples lift up their eyes and everyone's gone. And it's just Jesus. You see what's happening here. The voice of God is saying what the author of Hebrews has said that long ago, in many times and in many ways, God has spoken to us by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus is the greatest revelation of the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. And so we hear Jesus speaking throughout the scriptures. It's not just the red letters. Guys, I love the red letters. It's not just the red letters in your Bible. The whole thing is the voice of God speaking to his people. And Jesus incarnate, the the word of God, the word that was with God, and the word that was God is a fulfillment of all of the scriptures. He He doesn't nullify the scriptures. He doesn't do away with the scriptures. He confirms the scriptures and he fulfills the scriptures. See, when we say Jesus fulfills the scriptures, we're not just saying that there are prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfills, that we're we're talking about Jesus, and so he now fulfills those scriptures. When we say that Jesus fulfills the scriptures, we are saying the entire Bible is a book about Jesus. And though he doesn't show up until the gospels, we understand that he is the one that we have always been waiting for. 
He is the one who was said to come to crush the head of the serpent. He is the one that, that Abraham was told of, that, that, that his family, his seed would be, a, that he would bless Abraham and his family would be a blessing to the nations. The nations are blessed through Abraham's offspring, Jesus, because of what Jesus has done. When God told David that your son will be a, a, a son to me and I will be to him a father, it's because this one that they have been waiting for is Jesus, not just David's biological son but the eternally existent son of God. Everything in the scriptures is about Jesus. And in this moment, when they see him with Moses and Elijah, representatives of all of the scriptures, and God says, listen to Jesus. And then they look up their eyes, everything's gone. Moses and Elijah are gone and Jesus remains. It doesn't mean we do away with the Old Testament. It just means that now we have the key interpretive tool for understanding the Old Testament. We have Jesus. And it's about him, and it's for him, and it's his word, and it shows us the way of salvation. All the law and the prophets reflected the struggle of God's people and pointed to a day when God would deliver his people once and for all. And here on the mountain, Jesus is declared to be that deliverer. This is who Jesus is. And so we listen to him. We hear his instruction so that we can follow him into his glory. So many of us are here today, and I know this. Many of us are here today, and we're struggling. Maybe you're here, and you're struggling. You feel distant from God. And you hear about mountaintop experiences, and you're like, I remember those. It's been a long time. And now I'm starting to question whether or not my experiences, whether or not my encounters back then were legitimate. And you're struggling in your faith. Or maybe you're here and you're like, God, I remember when you used to speak to me so clearly early on in my faith when I didn't know what to do. You just brought people or you brought wisdom or you, I opened my Bible and found like the verse that I needed to read and you just, you made things so clear. And so now you're struggling to find wisdom for your life. Or maybe you're here today because gosh, you look out in the world and you hear all the narrative and you know, someone's lying to me. I need truth. Where can I find truth? Maybe you're here today and you're just searching for what is true. Then what you need, what you need more than anything is not my words. What you need more than anything is is not a, a place to come on Sundays. What you need more than anything is nothing that you or the world can provide. You need a vision of Jesus. You need to see Jesus as he is, unveiled, radiant, and glorified. You need to see him in all of his beauty, in all of his wonder, and all of his power. But we can't just chase these mountaintop experiences. See, we can't just, God, you did it for Peter and James and John. Why don't you do it for me? God says, I have. You're looking in the wrong places. See, God has revealed himself to us not only in his word, not only through the testimony of Peter and James and John. He's not only revealed on the mountain, he's revealed on the cross. See, his mission, Jesus' mission, wasn't to stay on the mountain. His mission wasn't for Peter to make three tents, for him to to stay on the mountain. He had to come down. Jesus was intent on coming down from the mountain because his mission wasn't to reveal himself in power and light, but in humility and in suffering. 
Jesus is the God of the universe revealed on the mountain and and he's on his way into the deepest valley of suffering imaginable. See, it's at the cross where we see an even grander vision of Jesus, where we see a grander vision of his glory that his disciple, uh, greater than what the disciples saw on the mountain. Remember, God's glory is not just simply his beauty or his power or anything else. It's those things being put on display. And it's in Christ crucified that we see the most beautiful and powerful picture of God imaginable. See, God doesn't use his divine power to crush you under his thumb. He used his divine power to go to the cross and be crushed so that you could be saved. This character, this picture of God as the suffering savior, as the one who gave his life so that we could have life, is the most beautiful, radiant, powerful, glorious picture of God imaginable. Something about his beauty, something about his character is revealed on the cross that is not able to be revealed in any other way. And so you want a mountaintop experience, look to the cross. Look to Jesus. Look to what he has done. It's at the cross where we have our mountaintop experience. Because it's at the cross where our sins are forgiven and we are invited into the kingdom of God. We we are told that we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies if we have believed in Jesus, if we have trusted in him in faith. And so we can't chase these, these ecstatic mountaintop experiences. But like Jesus, we recognize that sometimes the greatest glory is found in the trenches. The greatest glory is found in the valleys of adversity as Jesus' glory is revealed on the cross through suffering. And many of you know, many of you have suffered so much. Many of you are here because you're suffering right now and you just want comfort. Some of you have suffered so much. And as much as we hate hardship, as much as we hate difficulty, some of you who have suffered in your life know that sometimes God manifests his glory to the greatest degree through the darkness and difficulty of life. When the world is darkest, the gospel shines all the brighter. It's in humility that we experience him to be most glorious. It's in weakness when we find his strength. And so Jesus reveals his glory not only on the mountaintop, but he's going to reveal it on the cross. And when we receive this experience, when we see his glory, when we're given these mountaintop experiences at the cross, we're going to eventually have to come down the mountain. We're going to eventually have to go out into the real world. We're going to have to face the confusion. We're going to have to face the difficulty. We're going to have to face the darkness. We want to stay on the mountain, but that's not the way. The disciples had to come down the mountain. And as they came down, they experienced confusion. They experienced difficulties. They they just saw what they saw. And they say, Jesus, what about Elijah? Why does it say Elijah must come first? 
They just encountered God, but they still have questions. They're still confused. And so Jesus patiently and graciously answers their questions. You probably still have questions. Those of us who've been following Jesus our whole lives, we still have questions. And Jesus patiently answers these questions. And he says, Elijah does come. And just like Jesus, Elijah had suffered many things. And all of those who desire God, desire to follow God, are going to suffer as well. The son of man is going to suffer. He's going to be treated with contempt. Elijah did come and they did to him as they pleased because we know from the other gospels that this Elijah Jesus is speaking of is John the Baptist. That John the Baptist was the one who came in the spirit and power in Elijah. You see, like Elijah... John also called people to repentance. God called uh, to prepare them for the kingdom of God. And like uh, Elijah, uh, both Elijah and John were being hunted by a king's wife. Recognize this? That, That Jezebel, Ahab's wife, was bent on killing all of the prophets, including Elijah. But God spared Elijah by calling him to heaven through the whirlwind of fire. And just like Jezebel, Herodias, Herod's wife that we learned about uh, several weeks ago now, she was successful where Jezebel failed. She she kills John. She beheads John. And so Jesus says that John's uh, uh, ministry is the Elijah that we were waiting for. See, in Malachi 4, we get this command by God to remember the law of Moses. This is another crazy thing about this passage. He says, remember the law of Moses and behold, I'm sending to you the prophet Elijah who will turn the hearts of the children to the fathers and the fathers to their children. And so Malachi 4 predicts this day that in the last days, in the, in, before the day of the Lord comes, that, that there would be a, a reminder of the law of Moses and the ministry of Elijah. And here they're on the mountain, which means... The end has come. Jesus is here. The day is at hand. The kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe the gospel, Jesus says. And so, likewise, the, the, as, they're, as they're coming down the mountain, they've got this confusion. They're still facing difficulty. Uh, John faced difficulty. Jesus promises that he's going to experience difficulty. The words of Jesus are echoing in their heads that they are going to have to pick up their cross and follow Jesus. And so the disciples can't remain on the mountaintop of glory. They have to come down. And they're experiencing this confusion and hardship and the brokenness of the world, but they have a mission to, to accomplish. So Jesus gives them a mission and he gives you a mission. You have been invited into the mission that Jesus gives. You see, every time, almost every time God's glory is manifested to a person throughout the scriptures, it is always accompanied by a commissioning. Think of Moses at the burning bush. He sees God in that moment and he is called to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Or Isaiah's vision in Isaiah chapter 6, when he's in the throne room and he sees God on the throne. And then God says, who will go for us? Or who shall we send? And Isaiah says, send me. And he says, you will go. And people aren't going to understand. And their hearts are going to be hard. And he calls Elijah into this difficult mission. Ezekiel has a vision of God's glory by the rivers of Babylon to, that sets his Uh, his his prophetic ministry into action. Gideon is threshing wheat in the wine press and the angel of Yahweh appears to him. He has this vision of God and is called to 
uh, to deliver the Israelites from their oppression. And so many others. Think of Paul. Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus has a vision of Jesus where Jesus calls him into his role as an apostle to the Gentiles. When God's glory appears to God's people, God commissions his people to bear his glory to the world. He gives them a mission. He reveals his glory not simply to give us a mountaintop experience, but so that we would take that experience into the world and reveal him to the world. And the disciples will eventually take the gospel throughout the world and make disciples of all nations. And we too are called into that calling. See, a vision of God's glory is incomplete if we don't share it. A vision of God's glory is incomplete if we don't praise him for it. And after the resurrection, the disciples would share what they saw. And we, when we encounter God, when we encounter his salvation, when we encounter Christ and him crucified, we have to share it. See, what we need today is not only a vision of Jesus' glory. What we need today is not only to receive his teaching, but today we get to magnify Jesus' glory to the world. This has always been an interesting concept for me, this idea of magnifying Jesus' glory. Is God so small, like an ant, that we need a magnifying glass to make him look big? That's not what's happening here. That's not how we magnify God's glory. Think of it more like a telescope, where there's something massive out in the darkness, something beautiful and grand and glorious, but it's difficult to see with the naked eye. I bought a telescope uh, about a year ago from a thrift store. My whole purpose was I'm going to buy this. I think it's worth more than they're selling it, so I'm going to try to flip it and make some money. But while I had it for a few weeks, I set it up at night and brought the kids out there, and we saw Jupiter and its moons, and we saw Saturn and its rings, these massive, beautiful things way out into the darkness that by the naked eye, they just look like a speck in the sky. But the telescope takes what is large but hard to see at times and brings it near so that we can enjoy it, so that we can appreciate it. And so we are called to magnify God's glory. That does not mean that we need to take something minuscule and small and make it look big. It means the world is having a hard time seeing who made it. But through those God has made and anointed with his Holy Spirit, And called into his ministry, he makes it look beautiful. He makes his glory apparent to the world through his people. And so we get to magnify Jesus' glory to the world. Those who have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus and who have received and understood his teaching and promises, we are called to embody his teaching, to to live for him by loving him and loving one another in a way that actually helps people to see how beautiful and wonderful and glorious he is. It makes God experiential to those around us. I've shared this vision before. And I haven't talked about it in a while, but I think it's, it's fitting to mention this at this time. I've got, a, I've got a prayer for our town. I've got a prayer for our church, for the coastland, something that is just in my heart that I, I long to see. Something that's only possible by the grace of God. 
I believe that what Jesus wants for any community, not just a community of believers, but what Jesus wants for our community out there and for wherever you're from, if you're here visiting, what Jesus wants is for the community to see that he is the most beautiful thing that that community has to offer. I believe that what we have, this calling that we have here at Reality Carpinteria is to see Jesus praised as that most beautiful thing in Carpinteria. What Jesus wants is for people to know him as the greatest treasure we could ever receive. And so his, this, this vision for, for our church, his vision for our town, is that people come from all over the place. Carpinteria is beautiful. People love this place. But what if Jesus was the most beautiful thing here? What if, what if Jesus was the greatest treasure that Carpinteria has to offer? We know that he is. What if people saw that? What if people saw that and understood that? Ultimately, I think one of the reasons that that people don't recognize it in, in, in all, of, all of the communities, not, not just ours, it's not just a problem for us, but one of the reasons that people in, in the community don't find Jesus appealing is because outside of the four walls of the church, the church doesn't live like Jesus is appealing. The, the, the first set of worship today, guys, Reality Carp, you guys, you worship. You live to worship. You love to worship. The, the first set of worship is not the intro to the church gathering. Like, you guys go there. You, you enter the presence of Jesus and you're praising him. And, and you're, do, you, do you know that that's rare? Do you guys know that that's rare? At the first, when church first starts to already be ready to just raise your hands and worship and delight in God. No one has to tell you to sing. You're ready. You show up rejoicing, worshiping. What if our ordinary lives in the community looked more like worship? What if our dinner table conversations with our families looked more like worship? What if the way we, we worked in our jobs looked more like worship? What if our evangelism, our ministry, was just worshiping Jesus in such a way that made other people want to worship him too? What if our lives looked more like worship? What if our recreation looked more like worship? What if our worship didn't stay here, didn't stay confined by these walls, or didn't stay in our house, or stay only in the relationships with people that we know are Christians and understand us. But what if our lives looked like worship? What if we truly lived the way Paul called us to live in Romans 12, where he says, offer your lives as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable worship? What if we lived and loved Jesus in such a way that made other people want to live for him and love him as well? See, the reason communities don't know that Jesus is the most beautiful thing that, the world ha- that, that, that God has to offer, the most beautiful thing in their community or the, or the most valuable thing in their community is because oftentimes we're not giving them the chance to see that we are the body of Christ. 
He is the head and we are the members. And as we live together, as we respond to this vision that he has given us on the cross and we pick up our crosses and we follow him, we lay down our glory, we lay down our kingdom for the sake of his glory and his kingdom. When we do that, do you understand that people aren't gonna look at you and say, that's a cool person. They're gonna see Jesus. You are going to fade away like Moses and Elijah and they will see Jesus. May the name of reality Carpinteria fade away and may Jesus be exalted. May each one of us become less and Jesus be seen as more. May Jesus truly be seen and praised and prized as the most beautiful and valuable thing in Carpinteria. I heard a story this last week that made me cry. One of our kids' ministry teachers asked their class a couple of weeks ago, what would it look like if Jesus was Lord of Carpinteria? And he was telling me this story and he said that all the kids were like, it'd be like avocado festival, but for Jesus. <laughs> that's sweet, that's cute, that is profound. That is profound. They said it would be like people out in the streets, singing songs, celebrating, eating good food, but it would be for Jesus. Look, I am California through and through. Nobody loves avocados more than me. I challenge you. But if an avocado draws more of a crowd than the maker of heaven and earth, we've got a problem. Can we please, as a church, celebrate Jesus more than avocados? And, and, and celebrate Jesus as we delight in avocados? This is a beautiful, profound picture. The only way that we can ever see Jesus as Lord of Carpinteria, though, is if he's Lord of our individual lives. Not just he died for me, saved me, I'm good, but he is my king and I will go and do and say whatever you tell me, wherever you tell me to go, whatever you tell me to do, whatever you tell me to say, because you are my king. Jesus is the most beautiful thing in the coastlands. He is the most valuable treasure in the universe and his glory fills the earth. He is here in Carpinteria, dwelling in and through his people. And so we have an opportunity to magnify his glory to those around us, but it's not gonna happen accidentally. It's not just going to take place, but by delighting in him, having this heart that Peter has where he just, I just want more of you, Jesus. I just want to prolong my time in your presence by delighting in him and by declaring his goodness, by declaring the good news of the gospel of salvation, announcing the gospel of salvation to anyone who will listen and by demonstrating his love, not just to each other, but to the world around us, denying ourselves and following him in, in his compassion and presence. I believe that people will see that Jesus is more beautiful than anything they possibly imagine. When we recognize that Jesus is more beautiful than even we've been told. Jesus is more beautiful than even we have experienced. God is infinite in his beauty and power and glory and we are finite and he can't reveal it to us without literally exploding our minds. He is glorious. And this is a difficult calling. 
Just like all of the Old Testament saints who were called to difficult things and God encouraged them and empowered them by a vision of his glory, this is a difficult, a difficult calling that will be impossible to do if we don't receive a vision of his glory for ourselves. And so church, we need a bigger vision of Jesus. We can't manufacture it. We can't make it happen. But when we follow Jesus together, we will see his glory. As Jesus told the disciples, some of you will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God coming in power. When the body of Christ follows Jesus together, carrying our cross and serving as Jesus loved and served compassionately, the kingdom of God will break through in our lives and through our lives and people will see it. They will. We need a bigger vision of Jesus. We need to receive the words that he has spoken over his people, that you are loved, that you are his, that never will he leave you or forsake you, that he is making you like him, that he is transforming you, conforming you to the image of the Son, that you are seated with Christ in the heavenlies, that you are glorified with him, that you are a co-heir of all things. All of this that Jesus has proven. What do you have to prove that Jesus hasn't proven for you? We can let go of everything that we're clinging to. Hold on to Jesus. Follow him and watch his glory fill the world. If you receive him by faith, If you receive that picture of his glory on the cross, that he went to the cross for you, that your sins are forgiven, that you're united to him and invited into his life, into his glory, into his his intimacy with the Father and the Spirit, if you receive this on faith, then you have seen his glory. You have encountered his glory. You have encountered his presence and you will see it in its fullness when Christ returns to restore all things. See, this transfiguration on the mountain not only foreshadows the resurrection, but it ultimately foreshadows the second coming, that Jesus is coming again, that Jesus will return, that his glory will be seen by all. And our prayer and our mission is to, is to celebrate him now, inviting others to celebrate him as well, to turn their lives and give their lives to him so that when he returns, they receive it with joy and not fear, that they receive it with life and not judgment, that they receive him as they have been receiving him because of the glory that they have seen in the cross. But until he returns, we have the opportunity to shine forth his glory through us and worship him in all of life. And we get to do that here now. We get to do that in the second set. We get to do that in the response time, but it shouldn't stay here. We're going to fire it up. We're going to flip the switch on. We're going to worship in this place, but it's not going to stop when you leave. But it's got to start somewhere. So let's turn our attention to him. Let's praise him. Let's celebrate him and watch him do what only he can do. Pray with me together. Jesus, we want to see your glory. Thank you that you have revealed your glory on the cross. Lord, and by by seeing it and experiencing it, by taking it in, I pray that today, right now, you would remind us of the way that you on the cross, God crucified, what that means for our lives, that our sins are forgiven, that if there's here someone struggling with condemnation and guilt because of their sin, that they would see your glory by experiencing your forgiveness. God, if there's anyone here who is fearful, of this life that you've called them to, that they would experience your glory as your love casts out all fear. 
God, if there's people here who feel inadequate, unable to do the things that you have called them to, then I pray that they would experience your glory, that in the cross you've invited us into yourself and empowered us with the Holy Spirit, both to will and to work for your good pleasure, that it's not us, it's you. In our weakness, your strength is made known, is made manifest. And so God, I pray that whatever would be holding us back from you today, that it would be a vision of your glory that would tear down those walls so that we would be able to lift up our hearts, lift up our voices and celebrate the God of the universe. Celebrate who you are, Jesus Christ, the son of God crucified and raised, who will come again, the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, the one that though he was dead, yet now he lives. God, and we live because you live. So help us to live for you. Help us to live as your glory shines from our faces, as Moses did when he reflected your glory to the people. God, help us to pick up our crosses and follow you knowing that it was in your suffering that you were made most glorified. And so it's in our trials, in our hardships, in our difficulties, as we keep clinging to you and your truth, that your glory will shine through our lives. It's not about our glory. We think we want your glory, but your glory is for our good. It's like the groom on his wedding day. He doesn't care the least that all eyes are on his bride because her beauty, her glory is for his good. Lord, your beauty and your glory is for our good. May we delight in who you are and how you reveal yourself. God, and we pray that you would lead our time of worship right now, that we would just experience your presence. Holy Spirit, come and fill this place. Lord, as as the cloud enveloped the mountain, we want to be enveloped in your presence. We say, come and have your way in this place. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.